0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
1: to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Mike Leadis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For U2, The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleaders.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of The Ramones, Steve Wimwood, The Cramps, U2, etc, etc. we also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. Well, ordinarily, that would be the case. We do have these features in the Moments That Rock podcast brought to you here from Pantheon group of podcasts. Um, But nevertheless, this week's a little different. I thought when I started this, it would never stick to its uh, regimented format, but that's kind of tedious if it is. Today... I'm proud, delighted, thrilled, overwhelmed to uh, bring you Peter Hook. I talked to Peter last year, so it's a kind of way back then, but it's not too far way back then. Uh, Just to give you a brief introduction, if you didn't know it, Peter Hook was a founder member of Joy Division and um, New Order, which he founded with Bernard Sumner. The first in 1976, after they went to see the Sex Pistols at the Leicester Free Trade Hall, legendary show. And then in 1980, when Ian Curtis committed suicide, they reformed as New Order with... um, Gillian as the keyboard player. He released one album after that, Revenge, uh, two albums with Monaco, an album with Freebase, And the last 10 years he's fronted his own band, which has been Peter, Hook and the Light. I could go on forever, but I won't. I love this guy to pieces, we've been friends for a long, long time, and um, I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, he's talking about the acrimonious split between uh, him and the rest of the band, which has been in court forever and ever and ever. And I thought, instead of splitting it up into two parts, we'd run its course and run it as a whole. Moments of rock. So I'm thrilled to bring you, Mr. Peter Hook. Mm-hmm. back with everything that's gone on with court cases and everything with you order and you know you you had an auction for all your memorabilia and stuff have you have you lost a little bit of fond affection from those days did you kind of want to exercise yourself in a way
2: trust the dogs to start eh? uh, it's it's quite the auction was of joy division memorabilia which actually is a little bit untouched by most of that uh, it's the new order fracas the feud spills over into joy division but the the big differences between us and the arguments are about new order so it doesn't with regard to joy division but yeah i mean it's it, it's still very frustrating because you know you i'm fighting the three of them uh, all the time so they've just ganged up on you uh, and I suppose in life, there's there's nothing worse than being ganged up on, is there? That's something that, you know, reminds you of a school type thing. So it attacks you um, really at your base level. But no, I mean, um, I've learned to live with it over the years um, and function with it. It's still really annoying. I still get, we still only communicate by lawyers, which is great for lawyers but really bad for both bands. And I'm still waiting for someone to realize that it would be better, especially in the autumn of our lives, to not have a mad personal feud with anybody. That day hasn't come yet. I mean, I know groups are renowned for it. You know many. And they're also renowned for the way that the ego seems to um, get in the way of any common sense. Even with regard to our solicitors, once they come on board, you know, so the you know, it's, it's quite an odd thing. I mean, their solicitor was the guy who acted for Morrissey and Ma. Uh, so single handedly, he has made sure that three of Manchester's greatest bands will never ever get back together again. So, uh, he, he certainly deserves an accolade for that. Smith's Joy Division and New Order, well done, mate.
0: So if that time came when you did get that offer for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, do you think they would reach out? No.
2: I think they're too embarrassed about what they did. And because of the, shall we say in my opinion, the cowardly way that it was handled and how unfairly it was handled, Uh, you can't reach out, can you, when you've done something like that? Because no one's made amends. There's been no patching up of it. I still think that I was drastically undervalued in by them for my input into New Order for 31 years. They did something drastically, drastically wrong. Uh, and it's not fair. And that's, you know, until you cross that bridge and sort it out, then you're never going to be able to move on.
0: So I always love about Led Zeppelin, you know, if one guy's, obviously it was a death, but if one guy's not in the band, it's not that band. You either call it a day or you start again. I mean, you did it yourselves. When Ian died, Joy Division well, we became made, New Order.
2: We made the same agreement with New Order, mate. It's just that I think the 2008 financial crash may have might have changed people's um, <laughs> memories um, a little bit. And maybe if Bad Lieutenant had been a success, then then maybe we wouldn't be in the position that we are now, but we are in that position. Uh, and it is really, yeah, I mean, I have to live with it every day. It's just really annoying and frustrating. But I suppose the thing is, is that you do, as people keep saying to me, you have to remember what I've achieved since New Order split up. And I'm doing very, very well despite them. And yeah, you know, I suppose in an odd way, it's my name on the poster, isn't it? which is a great compliment that the fans trust me because basically we're all in it together we all love the music and uh, i love being with like-minded people and when i was in new order i didn't get the feeling i was with like-minded people it seemed to me that um, none of new order like the music for me you know it was a really strange um, atmosphere to be in in a group it was miserable uh, but it seems now that i've you know being kicked out
0: by them that everything's hunky dory and they're all laughing
2: their little cotton socks off
0: it must have been me it's always kind of a little weird because i think you know obviously the stories that you've told me over the years and stuff that that, you know you've shared and things i mean the thing is like you want a band to be an autonomy but you know there were obvious restrictions i mean you wanted to tour a lot more than bernard you know didn't you and Mm. you're able to do that now because you're in control of your own destiny aren't you so you can continue along the road as long as you want with the people you want to be with
2: yeah I mean it was it seems odd to me looking back that we spent our 30s and 40s hardly doing any gigs <laughs> and now that we've got to our 60s we're, we're doing more than ever how, how bizarre is that you know when most people do it in their heyday physically and mentally, um, and, um, you know, go and um, look forward to retiring, uh, New Order have done the opposite. <laughs> you you <laughs> did fuck all in their heyday, and um, now that they're in the 60s are, uh, yeah, are, are touring. It's just bonkers. I think
0: I'm, you've started a trend, though, because you, the, you've become the actual artist who've become your own <laughs> tribute bands.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? When I was touring with the Clone Roses, I was DJing they played. And um, the guy said to me, uh, he said to me, it's amazing no one's done a Joy Division tribute. you know.'" And I went, mm, you could do, couldn't you? I thought you could do the Salford Joy Division and I could be in it. Because I, I was at a loose end at that time. And he laughed and said, okay, okay, you cannot be in your own tribute band. <laughs> uh, and I proved him wrong. <laughs> but you know I mean it's easy for me to to it, it took a long time to get round to it 2010 i mean i was just looking at we started this is our 40th anniversary for year for new order it's also my 10th anniversary for the light because we started in may um, 2010 and Yeah, I mean, it took so long to do it, and then when I did it, I thought, why the hell wasn't I doing this before? But I mean, you know, New Order had only split up in February 2007, and Bernard went, you know, hell for leather into Bad Lieutenant, and I went into Freebase. So I think we both thought our careers were, you know, that was how it was going to be in the future. So, you know, Freebase took a while. Um, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, I think. And um, then I was at a loose end. And you know, to go back to playing, it just struck me that uh, throughout the whole of our career, we'd never done anything as New Order to celebrate Joy Division's ongoing success, legacy, and um, influence on music. We'd never celebrated one year, which was understandable. We never celebrated ten. Twenty thirty, and I thought, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I thought, why the hell? And it seemed much clearer. Being in New Order, it was frowned upon in many ways. It was actually frowned upon by Rob Gretton. He didn't want us to do anything that deviated from New Order. Uh, we lived with that right the way through. That, that became the mantra. When I started DJing in 2004 professionally, Barney was livid that I was DJing. Uh, and using the Joy Division and New Order name to promote it. He felt that that was really wrong, which was funny because when he DJed, it was okay to use the (laughs) Joy Division and New Order name. So it became really, don't do as I do, do as I say, which caused a lot of resentment. And the DJing was great, as you know, it's a great career being paid to play someone else's music if you've got the balls to stand up and do it, it's wonderful. Uh, And I must admit, since I've been concentrating on playing, I really miss it. But it's not as good as playing your own music. And when I came to it, I thought 30 years of Ian Curtis's life, which is what I was looking at, and how influential and revered Joy Division were. And I thought, how can we not celebrate it? This is just ridiculous. So I decided to celebrate it. We sold 250 tickets at the factory. We, we, I thought, you know, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. 250 people want to see me play Joy Division. Um, since then, we've played to millions, I think, of people. And it's been wonderful because I always remember what Ian Curtis used to say to us. Don't worry, we'll be playing in Brazil, we'll be playing in Argentina, we'll be playing in Canada, we'll be playing in America. We're going to be massive. And we'd all be there going, yeah, yeah, yeah and then we never got anywhere. So every time I go somewhere, I always think, well, there's one for Ian, you know? And when we got to Mongolia, I realized that his list was probably complete. So it's been great celebrating it with people like me who who love the music. It's easy, it's great, it's fantastic. And that's, you know, the coronavirus, as you said, has taken all our careers. And looks like it's going to take them for a significant amount of time. So the thing is, is that, yeah, it's been weird. But I mean, to me, it, it's just on hold. It's on hold. It's not going to go away. And it's going to be fantastic when we get it back. It'll even be more fantastic when we get it back.
0: The thing that I always thought, think with, you know, I and mean, obviously I've had a closer relationship with you than, than the other guys and stuff, but I always find that, the, the sad part of it, obviously the financial thing's a big issue, but the sad part, the, the legacy that should have always remained forever for those two bands, has been kind of tarnished a little, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, really, if I'm going to be totally honest, it's about respect. Because if you'd have been shown a little bit of respect, um, it, it would have been so much easier. But there's just been a total lack of respect to each other. Now, maybe they'd say that on their side as well. And I sometimes don't understand how it got to that. Maybe it's just that I can't remember how it got to that, because it certainly has got to that. But I can't remember how it got to that. And, you know, you're like that thinking, what the hell happened? Why would you treat someone like this? I mean, it's not as if we could walk down the street and bump into each other and go, hello, mate. Oh, how are you doing? They were great 40 years, weren't they? You know, literally, um, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult meeting when you do.
0: It's kind of an easy stroke difficult question, but I mean, you were growing up through Joy Division and stuff. And obviously, we were always going to continue after Ian's death. And do you have some very special moments with either of those pit parts of your career that, that you still remember fondly without any bitterness? <laughs> we're well, not really There's bitterness. A lot I
2: remember without any bitterness, don't worry. It's funny because um the, the wife was asking me that just before while we were having some lunch. Um the 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 time in between Joy Division and New Order was actually very, very short because basically we were wandering around like lost souls and congregating all the time in the pub as you do when you're younger. So we were always together. The only difference was, was that Ian wasn't there. And I remember Rob Gretton popping the question to us. We were at a little pub in Mac on the Pressbury Road and we'd gone for uh, lunch there after Ian's... Autopsy? No, autopsy. it's not the autopsy. Inquest. We went to the inquest into his death. And we were sat there and I remember Debbie's father go and moaning and saying um, that Ian was on another plane. He was on another plane, that lad. He was on another plane. And I thought, I wish he'd have been on that fucking Boeing 707 to fucking America, you bastard. <laughs> nah, he should have been on that plane. That was uh, the next but, day, wasn't it? Uh, well, it was the next day, yeah. But yeah, so his uh, da- uh, dad obviously, you know, had his own opinion about Ian Curtis. <laughs> And I remember sitting there, because we were we were only 23, um, and thinking, oh my god, this is beyond awful listening to it, you know, because the the family seemed to have it in for him, you know, Debbie's family. Uh but yeah, he was, you know, it was the gavel was brought down, he'd committed suicide, and we went and had some lunch um at that pub. And we sat there and Rob Gretton said to us, well, what are you going to do now, you lot? Are you going to go back to work or what? And we'd only been professional for less than six months. So we'd only just left work. So me and Barney went, oh, I'm not going back to fucking work. No chance, you know what I mean? We don't want to do that. Steve was working for his dad. So I don't really particularly think it made much difference to him anyway. And he said, well, are you going to carry on or what? And we said, yeah, yeah, we'll carry on. We'll carry on making music. I mean, we, we did have a fair bit of music left that we'd been working on with Ian. You know, we had ceremony in a lonely place. We had ICB as it happened, funnily enough. So we, we had a lot of ideas that were knocking around. And I remember going home after that meeting in Pressbury. And over the weekend, I got Dreams Never End. And when we started again on Monday, Went into the practice place and started writing Dreams Never End. So it was we were off, you know. We we didn't we just didn't take it in. In the same way that we didn't react to the grief, we just didn't take in the fact that we'd got up a ladder and now we'd gone down a snake, if you like, and we had to start the whole thing again. But one thing we did know, which was very respectful to Ian and very, very uh, noble of us all, was that we knew that Joy Division was dead and buried, and we'd have nothing to do with it. And we didn't, you know, we didn't get another singer, we didn't carry on, we didn't even consider that. Um, It was just all about starting again, and it enabled us to put off the grief. And really, you know, when you're young like that, you think the world's gonna end the next day. You know, as you get older, you realize there's no bloody rush could have had six months off, it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference. But focusing our minds on getting new songs together and finding a way to play them did keep us away from grieving. You know, the shock was sort of pushed to one side because we all dived into New Order and it did work, you know. New Order became much more culturally, not culturally, much more um, successful commercially quickly than than joy division did and you know it just grew and grew and grew and then that enabled you to completely forget joy division <laughs> closer coming out level test apart being a hit you know the ongoing legacy of joy division that seemed to multiply uh, we just ignored it you know and it, yeah it worked it worked for new order without a doubt
0: I think the fact that you considering your age jumped straight back into what was like your passion music, because the other things that could happen, you could sit there beating yourself up thinking, could we have done anything? Well, we did do
2: that. You know, we did that a lot. And really, I suppose that's one thing that never leaves you. Uh, I was reading an article this morning about it when, you know, you're always, it's always that thought, did we do enough? Could we have done more? Could we have stopped it? You know, and the answer is you couldn't because it happened. You know, there's no going back. Um but yeah, you do you do have to live with that.
0: But you think of like, you know, a lot of the artists, you know, the the legendary he never made it to the twenty seven group, but but all those were yeah. like kind of drug related deaths and things. But I think the whole kind of you know, the the situation with depression and stuff with with artists over the years is just like It doesn't go away, does it?
2: Well, no. I mean, and I think that that'll be one of the big legacies from this coronavirus thing, is is how it's going to leave people uh, after it. You know, I I get the odd thing with my mates. One of them will have a really dark day and get very morbid and all this lot. You see it coming. Becky has it with her friends. Both me and Becky have it. You know, every so often, you'll just wake up and think, oh, shit, you know. So it's one of those things that's going to be a scar if you like, forever. But yeah, I mean, you know, Ian, anybody looking at him would go, what, what did he have to be depressed about, really? You know, his bands were on the way up. He was gonna be a huge star. It was obvious. He had a new girlfriend. It, it's like, you know, but we've all been there, haven't we? And the thing is, is that his epilepsy uh, certainly didn't help his mental position. And the interesting thing I felt about the Joy Division documentary that was done in between Control and 24-Hour Party People is is that they took Ian's prescription to a modern-day epilepsy expert in 2008, whenever he was. And the guy looked at Ian's prescription and said, oh, my God, this was guaranteed to kill him.
0: Oh, my God.
2: That was the tablets that he was on. So the actual treatment for epilepsy was so barbaric at that point that it—you know—it was now thirty years later. You could turn around and go, "Oh my God, he had no chance." You know, uppers and downers, and oh my God, it was just unbelievable. But the weird thing was, it was that the one who played it down the most, uh, the one who fought it the most, his depression was Ian. You know, he never admitted it and he always played it down so i mean he was his own worst enemy in that regard that he played it down constantly and told you what you wanted to hear which was that he was okay not to worry about him and let's get on with it so it was like a bit of a um a bit of a vicious circle the whole thing was like a vicious circle you'd look at him and think oh my god we've got to do something drastic here and then the first thing he'd say to you is stop worrying stop worrying about me, come on, don't worry, let's get on with it, Brazil next, you know, it was like that. Do
0: you think he was kind of the leader, for want of a better word, was he the guy pushing Joy division more than the the others of you, more kind of...
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, he was the leader, yeah, the one that always picked you up, you know, when you went over out of the trenches, any stumbling, it was always Ian that would fire you up and get you going and get you through it.
0: What do you look more back most, most fondly after all this time then, Ookie, with, with Ian? What do you look back on as like the special moments?
2: Well, I, I've never worked with anybody like him. I've never worked with a more generous lead singer. He, was, he spent all his time trying to get you to sing. <laughs> <laughs> and write vocal lines and do lyrics. Not just me, everybody, you know? Um, he, he was really, really generous in that regard. And he was the perfect frontman. He was fantastic, and there's so few of them. Iggy Pop, you know, Jim Morrison. there's so few of those perfect frontmen that every time I played with him, the only thing I needed to do to get me through anything, any amount of skinheads bottling you or anything, was just look at him. And I just looked at him and realized he fucking meant every word that he said and every action in his body just screamed out music. He just screamed out, I love Joy Division. I never saw him pissed off at a gig once, even when he was really ill. He was never, he loved it, you know, and to have that as a companion was absolutely wonderful. Really
0: was wonderful where do you think things might have gone had Ian, (laughs) you know still been alive i mean would have would have you have morphed into kind of a different type of because obviously yeah you ordered time wise i mean blue monday was kind of like the first house record wasn't it
2: well yeah i mean blue monday was only was 1982 so it was only 18 months after ian you know after ian's for Sad Demise. So the thing is, is that Ian would have been singing on it without a shadow of a doubt. Barney actually probably would have enjoyed it more, doing all the synths and all that crap, which is the bit he loved, and then having to do the vocals, which he told us was the bit he loathed. Um, So yeah, he probably would have loved Blue Monday more. And one of the greatest things in history, surely, and I can't believe no one's done it, would be to put an Ian Curtis vocal line on Blue Monday just to see (laughs) what it sounded like. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see where it could have gone with that bit of a dark edge, which, yeah, it's interesting. So no, I think musically we would not have changed. I think it would have been exactly the same as to whether it would have been easier or not, or whether Ian, you know, would have loved the group. (laughs) as much as he did when um he would have been living with his epilepsy or when you know he'd actually gone full tilt and gone with a knee because they hadn't really um formed a true relationship together whether that would have been different or whatever you know you would it's, it's something we'll never know mate many things we'll never know
0: it's incredible the influence that you know, the band had, I mean, obviously from working with you 2 right at the beginning, the connection there where they were such huge Joy Division fans and the Martin Hannock connection and things, it's kind of like there are a lot of positive things that went other ways towards bands that kind of inspired them at a time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought um, Bono's message to... um, Tony Wilson was was very sweet. And I did like his 60 letters, although he, he, got, he got it wrong. He said he came to see us in Strawberry. Um, poor bugger got mixed up. He came to see us in Britannia Row in London. So he was only 250 miles out there on that one. But you know, the sentiment is is lovely. And it's, yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is you two do have to be admired. I do love it whenever we go anywhere that we've never been before, playing as the light. And I always wonder who's going to be there to greet us. And it is wonderful that you get there, and there's a lot of bald old blokes like me and you, but there's also a lot of kids, and the way it's gone down the generations is amazing. And you know, to have 17, 16-year-old kids coming up to you and asking, what was Ian Curtis like? When I'm here at 64, you know, is a bit bizarre. But the music touches me still. I love playing it, um, and the thing is, is that as long as there's somebody there that agrees with me, then they'll, as my wife says, they'll be wheeling me on, you know, to um, to carry on doing it. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird situation to be in. And it is, it is very odd, I must admit. 40 years seems to have gone by in the bloody blink of an eye in some regards. And then sometimes you're sitting there thinking, my God, yeah. Let's hope we get another 40, eh, mate? But, you know, life goes on. And I think the thing about, again, coronavirus shows you is, is that you never know your moment. And really, you should be living life to the full. And I must admit that I think from my point of view about you, is, is that you forget how many momentous occasions in music you've been at, and I bet many people have said to you, you should do a podcast, because you were there, you were in the right place at the right time, in some mad places, you've seen some crazy, crazy events, you know, in this rock and roll world, you? you should be talking about.
0: Well, yeah, probably, are. It's every times you have to text and say, you're doing this or not, right oh
2: man you
0: know (laughs) well thank you for the accolade kind sir always great talking to peter hook been friends for a long long time now working with the band joy division back in the day and new order and managing through his monaco years um i always look forward to seeing him when he comes over to america and um, it's always good to have a chat with him. He's really articulate, interesting, and um, there are great stories. I mean, he's been in one of the most influential um, bands over the last 50 years. In two of them, in fact, as he said himself, Joy Division and New Order. Same, it all shame, should I say, it all came to the messy end that it did. But Hooky survives. He was 65 a couple of weeks ago. We wish him all the well. Like I said, we are... Uh, deviated a little bit from the norm, whatever the norm is after five episodes, and uh, we devoted the entire show to Peter Hook. Hope you enjoyed it. Back with some sort of format next week on Moments That Rock, brought to you by the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribe, tell your mates, and let's roll.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.